Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hello, curling fans, and welcome back to Way Inside here on the Inside Curling Podcast feed. John Cullen with you once again for episode number seven. And this episode this week is a doozy, not just because we have a great guest, but because of what it took for our great guest to get here. He had the travel day from hell on his way to the United States Mixed Doubles Championships in Kalamazoo, Michigan, was up in the air in his plane. The plane tried to land, could not land. They ended up having to divert the plane to a different airport. They, at one point, were teasing that the plane was going back to its original destination. Our guest may not have even been able to get to the Mixed Doubles Championships. It was wildly confusing. Then, by the time he got to his Airbnb, which was replete with live, laugh, love, wooden posters all over the Airbnb that we got a nice glimpse at while we were doing this interview, he had phone trouble. He had laptop trouble. We couldn't get the video into landscape mode. We had to do the whole thing in portrait. It was just a disaster, but luckily, our guest was fantastic, and we're going to get to him in a second. But speaking of technical difficulties, how about these rock handles? We're still doing the rock handles with the green and red lights. Nobody likes them. Nobody's sure if they ever work. The technical difficulties are there. And listen, I totally understand. It is a miserable experience for a hogline official to have to sit there in the freezing cold for all that time and just watch the hogline. I agree that's not a great solution either. So I think what we should do is do what we've been doing at the BC Provincials and many other provincials do this as well, is if you have a problem with someone, you feel like maybe they're going over the hog line too much, you let an official know and then they come out and watch the hog line. Because that's much more fun for everybody. It's fun for the players. It's fun for the officials because then they get to walk out like there's some sort of mob enforcer and just kind of quietly stand there dressed in all black patrolling the hog line. And plus, when you have hog line officials, then you get fights. Remember the Randy Furby World Curling Championships incident where he nearly exchanged blows with the official when he thought he wasn't making hog line violations? It was fantastic. None of this technical timeout. We're going to unscrew the handle and do the little doot do and try to fix the handle. Look, I think we can all agree the handles aren't working. What does agree? A pair of human eyes, but only when we ask for them. That's John Cullen's solution of the week. Bring the hog line officials back, but only upon request. It works the best for everybody. And speaking of requests, we did get a lot of requests for this guest this week. As I said, a ton of travel issues, but he made it work. John Schuster is here, the 2018 Olympic gold medalist. He's a world bronze medalist. He is now the most decorated U.S. curling champion of all time on the men's side. And it was fantastic to have him on the show. He's honest, fun to talk to. Here's John Schuster. Tilted. Son of a gun, how do I change my orientation on this thing? All right, phone. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, my earbud just fell off. What is going on? What is... John, I'm a hot mess right now. I won't lie to you. What on God's green earth? I don't know what's going on here. I... Hmm. Nope. Your video people are just going to maybe have to be mad about this. Okay, I am here with John Schuster. And John, we always start every episode with a lightning round. We get right into it. It is the top four. I just want you to give me a quick answer to each of these questions. Are you ready? Oh, I'm, yeah, let's do it. Which curler have you never played with before that you would want to? My son, Logan. If you know that all of the rocks are the same, like they're both great sets, you have no problem with either set, which color are you taking? Yellow. What is something that's considered a basic thing in curling that you struggled to learn? Playing defense. How would your bitterest rival describe you? Lucky. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I actually think I have heard them call you that. So that's uh, yeah. this might be the first time on the show where I've actually heard uh, I've heard that word from a bitter rival of yours. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's probably why I said it. You know, it's not. Uh, I think everybody thinks that everything that's happened to me has been fortunate, but I don't know. I must be the luckiest curler on planet Earth. I don't know. I mean, this is not necessarily you being lucky, but I did kind of want to go back to the beginning with you a little bit because I've known you for a while now, but I don't think I knew this about you when I was doing research for this interview. You didn't throw a rock until you were 15. No, nah, 12. I threw, I 12. threw my first rock okay. when I was 12, yeah. But you didn't start playing competitively until you were 15 or you were playing when you were 12? No, no, I threw a rock when I was 12, but uh, finally in, in ninth grade is when I started playing. Like curling became my winter sport. I was a basketball player all the way through eighth grade. Gotcha. Okay, so you're like grade nine. Yeah, so you're like 14. Okay. Yeah. S- question still stands. Seven years later, you're playing at a world championship. How does that happen? It happens through throwing a lot of rocks and playing a lot of league games. When I decided to quit playing basketball, basketball is like religion in the town I grew up in. And so we had practice every day after school the entire season. And I knew how good our basketball team was. I mean, we had four state championships from a town of 5,000 in the state of Minnesota before there were classes even of like big schools, small schools. So kind of using that. And I went and threw every single day after school. And I think when I was in ninth grade, I played in two leagues and 10th, I played in four and I played in, you know, four different leagues. I played a lot of games, but you know, the crazy thing is like, I never even made it to a junior national championship until I was 19. Yeah. Well, I saw that too, because you, so you played in the worlds and then you in 2003, but then you won the U S juniors in 2004. So what is like, how are you balancing that? Like is, was your junior team just kind of a throw together for nationals, but you were mostly playing with Pete or what would, what did that balance look like? No, let's flip it the other way around. Oh, really? Well, I mean, I, we, we lost the junior national final the first year I made it there, my freshman year of college. And the next year, I got the itch and I realized that, okay, I, well, I got somewhere finally. It took a long time. Playing in Bonspiels, leagues, junior spiels, like a lot of success, but just could not get out of our state. It was kind of like Minnesota would be like the equivalent of like Alberta men's right now. Like when right. we were juniors, because they're just stacked. Like every year, if you won the Minnesota junior state, like you were probably guaranteed a spot in the semifinal, if not the final of the, of the U.S. juniors when it was regional. I curled with Paul Pustavar, who was a kind of a legend in our country in league from my senior year of high school and whatever. And, and I was like, you know, if I get on a good men's team, I mean, even that was serendipitous. So you think I'm, it was lucky, but I talked to a guy from another team that was one of the better men's teams in our state. And they were looking for a second at this time. Like after that same year I played with Pete and like, yeah, I'll talk to the other guys. We'll give you a call and said, yeah, I, these guys are going to jump right on this. And, you know, two weeks went by and hadn't heard from them. And our junior coordinator, cause we had a bunch of really good 20 year olds or, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds in our club. I was just one of them said that Bob Benson had called and said they were looking for some youth. Pete was looking for a young guy kind of maybe bring some, you know, youth and skill or whatever. And I was like, did you give him my name? He's like, well, you, you know, you said that you were sounded good that you're going to go play with far below. So I haven't heard from those guys. And, uh, legitimately maybe that later that night, my phone rings, Hey, John, Pete Benson, you know, heard you weren't available, but maybe you are. I said, well, I haven't heard from those guys. So they must've went another direction. The next night, Steve Jittala, who actually is a, curler from St. Paul who just passed away from cancer a couple months ago, but called me and goes, Hey, John, Steve Jittle here. I've been meaning to call you for the last couple of weeks. I just haven't got around to it. You know, if he doesn't procrastinate, <laughs> who knows? Maybe I'm not talking to you right now, man. Like that's... <laughs> I don't even know who you are, but no, the, my last year of juniors, we didn't have a spot at the junior worlds because of, you know, relegation back then. Um, a team was going to go have to win it through junior B's and I didn't even play in the junior B's because I just won the men's the previous year. And I was on this great men's team. And when Chris Plies, when he was like 15 years old, took a team that probably shouldn't have even been playing at this invite thing and went and beat all the 20 year olds who are all my buddies, all their teams imploded. And I was like, oh, I should probably play my last year of juniors. I'd like to maybe go win one of those things. So it was a throw together <laughs> junior team legitimately a day before the, before the deadline. And it was myself and Jason Smith, who was my best friend who another story for another day, but <laughs> um, and he was supposed to play with the young junior team. And, and I said, Hey, you know, you want to play? He goes, I told Lesnick I'd play with these young kids. And he's like, I'll call Lesnick and see. And Lesnick said, yeah, go play with John. And then sure enough, we uh, found two other guys whose team imploded and we went and won the junior nationals. 
No big deal. I mean, I like that you. I like that you said. Uh, I've been waiting so long to get to the worlds. Yeah, seven years. Yeah, you poor guy. Jeez, what a long time to wait. You know, uh, <laughs> all the Canadians listening to this are like screaming into their radios at the moment. Dude, I didn't get to the. I didn't make it out of the state. I never played the nationals, <laughs> and I was probably through more practice rocks than any human in the country, maybe in the world. Couldn't crack it when it mattered. So. Well, hey, I mean, you ended up cracking it in a huge way. You went off. You went off to the Worlds in 03. You play with Fenson for a while. You go to the Olympics in 06. That's your first time at the Olympics. You win a bronze. When you come out of that, where did you think your career was maybe going to go? Because I think at the time, fair to say, USA Curling, not a world powerhouse. Obviously, you had a great showing at the Olympics, but... You know, it had been a lot of lean years, especially on the men's side of things. Did you sort of think like, geez, I'm in my early 20s. I just won an Olympic bronze. It may never get better than this. I never actually thought that, to be honest. And that's that's kind of why I'm still curling. To be fair, with Fence in 2005, we're in a six-way title at 8-3 and three for the first place at the Victoria Worlds, which is not too far from you. So you should know that we weren't just like this. I know. I'm not saying your team was bad, but you know, I think it's a fair comment. But I think the success that I had had on the teams I'd had at the men's world's level, because we went and we finished two and seven in 2003, but 2005, we go eight and three. 2006, we go win Olympic bronze. I remember being on the podium, though, and getting the bronze medal thinking, yes, this is the best it can be. I'm an Olympic medalist. This is the proudest moment of my life. And then they handed Finland the silvers and Canada the gold and, you know, said, all right, everybody remove your caps and, you know, for the playing of the Canadian national anthem. And I've heard oh canada and i realized that that was not my dream and that i needed to do something more you were just mad you had to take your hat off that was the biggest problem for you no we didn't have hats on. <laughs> I was standing more hair than I got now, but. <laughs> but but to be completely honest like standing there i realized that that wasn't my dream to be an olympic medalist my dream was to be an olympic champion and what was i gonna have to do to do it and that's when the wheels really started cranking for me i'm like okay what's the next step and it wasn't necessarily i didn't think leaving fence and like that was not what i was thinking when that happened i mean it did happen after that year but I kind of rededicated myself to to going further. And I believe I could because the team we had, you know, just made the playoffs. And then we go to the Worlds again that same year in 06. I mean, we were dominating through the round robin. We lost our last three to finish fourth. Yeah, no, I mean, you were right there for sure. And this leads perfectly into my next question, because I think, you know, a lot of people in Canada, uh, you know, have paid attention to the Kelly Knapp story out of Saskatchewan going from lead most of his life to skipping and has a great run at the Saskatchewan Provincials and he's going to be in the Briar or I guess when this comes out the Briar will be happening when this episode comes out but did you also think like you said you weren't thinking about leaving fence in did you already have it in your mind that you wanted to skip like a lot of a lot of guys don't necessarily make that leap especially at your age from lead to skip what kind of went into that decision well, I mean, I had skipped my entire junior career. I threw last rocks for pretty much every team I ever played on, like if I was playing with my dad in league. So I knew that the tactical part of the game was my strength. I mean, even when I played lead for fence and I was the vice skip, I was in the house. I had a big voice on that team for the strategy that was getting played, especially, you know, end to end strategy. Like I was a pretty big contributor, even though I was, I guess Joe was a month younger than me. But so I knew that strategy is one thing I wanted to do. But when I did leave the team and tried to go to the world university games and we made it there and we went, you know, it was very quickly that I realized that skipping was where I was. I thought I was a, the most useful on a team and be like the most content with, you know, my skill set and what I thought I could offer teams was, was in the house. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And I, I, I wanted to ask you too about your skipping style. Cause I think it's, especially as a commentator, someone who, you know, has the headphones on and you're mic'd up and can hear you, you know, you are easily one of the most vocal skips. You, you know, you're constantly talking, you know, you're talking through the strategies, you're talking through all the options, the tolerances. So I, I was curious, you know, have you ever had pushback from teammates on that? You know, because I think we think of a lot of skips as sort of a little more stoic or whatever. Like, you know, you just you have an interesting way of, of going about it. So I guess, first of all, does that help you? How did that kind of start? And then, yeah, second, have you had any pushback from teammates about that kind of way of doing it? You know, it's really hard to say, I guess. Uh, I've always kind of been vocal. I always like I like everybody on my team to be on the same page, to know what I'm thinking. As long as it's not something that, you know, you're tipping your hand completely to the other team kind of deal. But I don't think I've had a ton of pushback from teammates. You know, when you're playing with time clocks, sometimes say this is what I'm thinking and this is why I'm thinking it can save 
can save you some time of of a teammate being like, why the hell are you thinking this? <laughs> it's, it's so fun to listen to. It just, I feel like I'm sort of used to, and maybe it's just a Canadian thing, but I'm sort of used to an economy of information, not a sort of, you know, you're, you're talking it all through. And I, I didn't know, like, for me, I would like it as well, but I could see it maybe being a distraction sometimes, especially like you can be pretty honest out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I, there's definitely times. And I think, you know, I think Tyler was really good for me to be like, all right, dude, you got to be a little more decisive. You know, my indecisiveness when he was on the team was out of my, you know, utter respect from getting my butt kicked strategically by him. And, you know, for, I mean, a lot of our careers, like he was the toughest guy to skip against because he had the most curling knowledge. And I think, you know, the world's getting a little spoiled with him on the mic right now and seeing like what his curling knowledge really is because... Yeah, I thought I was going to have a career in broadcasting when I got done, but uh, I don't think that's <laughs> going to be there anymore. He's so great at it, so which is fine. You might have beat you to the punch. You know, that's fine. I'll curl a little longer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> People are never saying that about me. They're never worried about that with me. They're never like, oh, Cullen's got too much knowledge. We can't, yeah. let him, we can't let him talk anymore. But I think there definitely was an adjustment, though, like Chris coming out of the team, and he is definitely, I mean, that person you're talking about, Stoic, close to the vest doesn't say more than he needs to say out there. It, it's probably made me be a little bit more decisive and try to, you know, sometimes be a little bit less chatty, which I don't think anybody believe I'm less chatty now than I was, whatever. But, <laughs> but I definitely respect also, you know, when teammates are doing something and need a minute and don't need me being so vocal, I try to read off those cues and, and to respond to that too. I wanted to talk about, you know, we're kind of, I'm kind of moving through your career chronologically here, but obviously you know, we've talked about some of the early highs, 2010 Vancouver Olympics, probably safe to say maybe the nadir of your career, uh, at least on a on a sort of world stage. You know, um, I was curious about the, you know, you got benched for a game. Chris was your alternate. You got benched. Chris played a game. How does that conversation even start? How did that happen? Because I'm so curious. You know, I, I think we think of Olympic rosters as kind of locked in, especially in 2010, like how, how did that even how did that even start? Well, you know, we had a we had a plan for if anybody wasn't playing well on our team about okay, this is the lineup we go here, this is the lineup we go there. If one of our main four was not jamming, but we didn't have a plan for if I missed three last shots in four games. You know, I, I think that that decision came from the top down. It wasn't something that was it was not my choice. By far the toughest twenty four hours of my life from a curling standpoint. I mean, I was at, my parents had an Airbnb there at the very beginning of their thing. And I remember going there and being like, I'm not playing tomorrow. And if you guys can't go there and cheer wholeheartedly for my team, like do not show up at the arena. Like I had to tell my, I had to have that conversation with my family, but that was the team person that I always strive to be is to have be somebody that has their people's back. And, but it was very evident in that game and they beat France in the game. I was benched. Yes, they did. And did I come back in the next game? Yes, you did. Yeah. Anybody can go back and watch the ninth end of that game. And our team had a scenario happening and all four of our guys were standing there at the far end and they call a timeout and they had no idea what to do. And I told Phil, well, and I don't remember the exact scenario. I'm like, well, they need to throw this shot, you know, whatever we get our such and such and we win the game. And, and our coach went and walked down the, who again, Phil Drobnik, our coach in 2018. Yeah. So, you know, same guy who had to make that final call to pretty much, you know, bench me in 2010 went down there and he goes, Hey guys, Johnny said, you have to do this. And this is why. And they're like, Oh, okay. And they make the shot and we score whatever we score in the end and go on and win the game. And I think after that game, when, you know, when the coach realized he just got coached by a skip that they should probably have him out in the ice. And I quit throwing last rocks and it worked. We beat a Dean in the next game too. So true. It's just such a, you know, I think I remember at the time it being such an interesting thing. And, you know, I'm sure it was hard for you, obviously, like you said, toughest 24 hours of your curling life, but it had to be hard for Chris too. I mean, he's just a young guy coming in on the team i mean that's a tough spot to put him in too i think you know what though he was so young i mean he was really so young and he had so much confidence from his last couple of years of juniors he got a gold medal bronze medal skipping a team throwing last rocks like his hair was on fire man his <laughs> late father too you know who passed away his brain cancer was i you know you look at things and and you like to say okay yeah well we had control over that but sometimes you're like is there a higher powers out there his dad only he passed away two years but after that and he got a chance to be in the stands and be, he was cheering just as loudly for, for myself and the rest of our teammates. Cause Patrick and I were pretty close friends as well, but to see his son throwing last rocks and getting a win for his country at the Olympics was, you know, he was living on borrowed time. So sometimes believe in higher powers when, when stuff like that comes into play. 
I mean, I think that's a great a great way to look at it. I, I just thought, you know, God, he was he was so young. You guys play together to like, have you guys ever talked through this sort of uh, this whole thing? Been like, oh, God, that was crazy when that happened. Dude, we've had so many times. Like, I mean, <laughs> just in general, like, I mean, he was my second on my World University Games team when we won gold in 2007. Like, he played with me in 2008 men's curling. Like, we've we've been through some stuff. So, you know, the 2010 Olympics is just another thing that we've been through. But you know what? We've been such close friends even when we were competitors after that, it wasn't him. That was, he wasn't like, put me on the ice. Like that wasn't it. No, of course. Terrible, terribly hard spot. We probably don't talk about it. You know, it probably gets brought in and out of conversations here and there along with everything from our past. I I totally get that. And, and I was curious too, you know, 2010, I read some articles, uh, some interviews with you where you kind of talked about how, how difficult it was after as well. You know, you're getting some, tweets and online kind of comments that's the early days of twitter back in 2010 but you know you're getting some stuff going on and you know and i think this canadian athletes go through this too but i feel like with curling it's got to be so hard to take that kind of criticism in because you know so much of it is coming from people who don't watch curling except when it's during the olympics like how did you kind of square all that stuff happening at that time i i didn't to be honest it was <laughs> seriously it was it was like a drug to be honest like you see people writing some stuff online and you're like oh my god like all of a sudden you're looking again you're looking more and just like it, it was awful it was funny i mean go look at the schuster train on youtube that is like one of the most ridiculous things that somebody put on and we laughed about it but you know on the inside that stuff's tough but you know my twitter handle you know my twitter handle is it's schusty 2010 right that is a constant reminder for me about how awful that year was for me and how caught up in social media that somebody can be. That is a reminder for me that 2010 in social media was like the worst thing on planet earth for me. So um, I just have that because Twitter came out in 2010. I threw a 2010. I was a skip at the Olympics and I've kept it because you can change. I could change. I could take the 2010 off tomorrow, but it is, <laughs> it is yeah. a stark reminder of how awful social media can be and how little it matters. I mean, it took me a few years to probably get past, you know, what that actually meant. But, you know, I'm better in the end for it. So <laughs> not. I love that. I mean, great attitude. And let, let's let's move on to something a little lighter. Uh, we I always like to break up the interview with a segment I call Dirty Laundry, uh, which is where I dig up some information about the person I'm interviewing that they probably have never been asked about before. And I got a few interesting pieces of information. I have to say, you're the first person so far, this is episode seven, where I got a piece of information where I was like, I don't think I can say that on the podcast. You can maybe imagine who might have contributed that. But I wanted to ask you about 2006 Olympics. You are asked for a bio at the Olympics, and you listed your favorite food as bread. You want to elaborate on the uh, you want to elaborate on the uh, the 2006 John Schuster who said his favorite food was bread. You know, it probably is one of those things. We were over there in Italy, man, and the uh, yeah, I forget. I still love bread. I don't love anything that you know. I love sandwiches. You know, pizza with dough, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, bread is great. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know if I've ever. <laughs> had anyone describe it as their favorite food what's your favorite kind of bread are you what you're still a bread guy i'm still a bread guy i like a good sourdough but to be honest man go to a bakery anywhere over in europe and get anything fresh like yeah that's legit bread with butter on it that was like one of those things like that brings me back sometimes to like childhood because to be honest besides peanut butter jelly sandwiches and uh yeah i was a super picky eater like bread probably was kept me alive for a few lean years when i was a kid man I've heard I've heard bread and, and chicken tenders. You're a big chicken tenders guy, which is also me too. Not anymore, man. I've I've expanded my horizons. I I have Matt Hamilton to help with that guidance he gave me. I was actually just ate some stuff tonight and my wife was like, What? It was meat and potatoes and bread, like pretty much is what I survived on until I was thirty. That's very how very American of you. Yeah. Now this is not sort of a, a dirty laundry question from a player, but I'm actually I would say that you over time have been I, I don't know if beneficiary is the word, but you have played with a few teammates that have, we could say, iconic looks. Okay. So I would like you to rank these three looks from worst to best. Okay. And, and best is relative. So, so number one's the worst. Number three is the best of the worst. Uh, so I, w- I would like you to rank Chris Ply's emo phase. Uh, where he had the Justin Bieber haircut and was constantly wearing the toque with a hat brim in it. 
Uh, Matt Hamilton's Super Mario look at the Olympics with the mustache and the red hat and Tyler George's Skechers. Oh, man. Uh, Tyler George's Skechers are they have to be the worst. <laughs> I can't believe he played in those things. Like, I, I remembered it when I was doing research for this interview. But then when I, like, Googled it and actually looked at the photo, like, I cannot believe he was playing in those. It's he won insane. an Olympic gold medal in I, those. <laughs> I know. It's, it's wild. Nuts. It's not. It's, that's not in real life. <laughs> Okay, so that's number one. Which is worse out of the out of the emo phase and the Super Mario? Dude, the emo phase is it was fine, but it was it was worse. I mean, I just rewatched the 2018 gold medal game with Lance Sanders in laws when he when my kids went and played in Boston in their, in their city last weekend. His Mario look was fresh, dude. Like, I mean, <laughs> I would say his long hair that he that he rocked in 2022 was far worse than his Mario phase in 2018. True. And plies too. The long hair wasn't. I wasn't a huge fan of plies. The long hair either. You know what? I Chris can do whatever he wants, man. That guy's. He's got. You know, he's got a gift. <laughs> he's a good-looking dude. Even when he was an emo, you know, he wasn't really one though. When he had his emo phase, it was pretty hot. I mean, I you know, I know, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people liked it. He had some pretty hot music that people could still probably go find. <laughs> they definitely can. Yeah, you absolutely can if you look up Chris Plies music. I just lost a teammate, so you maybe need to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I he'll be okay. losing a teammate on a podcast is ridiculous. <laughs> That's that was my goal when I started way inside. I'm like, can can I break up a team on here? Uh, I think he can handle it. Like you said, he's got a gift and he's a pretty laid back dude. I think if if anybody can handle it, it's it's Chris Plies. Yeah, that's all right. He's gonna be like knocking on your door to be the next thing, and then he's gonna try to just go after you know dirt on me. So we're good. Okay, let's get back to the questions. And unfortunately, we just have to get right back into, you know, another sort of crazy thing that happened in your career. You've had a crazy career, by the way. It's been, um, it's been pretty wild. Uh, so 2015, the U- USA Curl makes the decision they're going to have this high performance program. They cut you. Uh, we don't have to go over all that whole thing. But I was curious, did they ever give you a reason for the cutting? Was it like, because I know when I played hockey, it was like you'd go sit in a room with the coach and the rep coach and he would say, oh, you're cut for this, this and this reason. Did they ever give you a reason or were they just kind of like, nah? They gave us a generic reason back. You know what happened? It's like, uh, we don't see you in the picture for the future competitive success of of USA. And that was, I mean, I was overweight, man. I you know, doing the stuff. We actually had a combine where we were doing push-ups and sit-ups and that kind of thing. But when it came to throwing a curling rock and calling a curling game, like whatever, there may or may not have been a coach that, you know, before any of that stuff ever happened, said that you were getting cut off the team and I was taking your front end from you. And it may or may not have been personal. I have no idea. So whatever. The beauty in the U.S., man, you get a national championship, you're going to the world championships. So... For sure. For sure. Well, and it was, you know, interesting because you, you know, so obviously, yeah, you get cut along with along with Hammy and, and Tyler and, and, and Steiner and you set up the whole team. Well, Tyler never got cooked, man. He never even tried out because he believes he's a classic curler. Like, you know, the team puts himself together based on what they think. And he wasn't going to have anybody else put his team together for him. So he didn't get cut. Lance Steiner Hamilton and I got cut. <laughs> you know, the interesting part about that is that other person that got cut, the final four of us that actually went to the combine, that got cut. The last one was Greg Persinger. Oh, really? Yeah, they were terrible judges of talent, apparently. <laughs> it seems that way. There's been, until Dropkin, they, Greg and I were the only people throwing last rocks for the U.S. at World Championships or Olympics since that tryout. Crazy when you think about it. It's wild, man. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, it does go to show too, right? Like, I mean, I do think, you know, fitness is obviously a part of the game, but there's levels. And when you're the skip, maybe your level should be a little lower. I think it's yeah, okay. I don't know. But you know what? <laughs> Dude, I lost 30 pounds and said, yeah, you look great. I traveled like crap. And when weeks went on and long weeks, you know, there's a reason that 2015 on, you know, national champ, I just happened to see it the other day. I've won like, you know, five of the seven national championships I've played in since then. And we've been in the whatever, you know, in one year we got second, it was, you know, 2016 and we still went to the worlds anyways. So I've gotten better, but I think just losing that weight, getting in better shape, I actually travel better. I play better at the end of weeks. Um, I mean, the Olympics is obviously this last nationals. They're both pretty good examples as, as the week went on, I actually played better and better, which wasn't necessarily the case in my career when I was 30 pounds heavier. Great point. And, and in 2016, you know, so you have success, you go off, you form this team, you have success. The U S wants you back in. Was there any part of you that was like, no, I'm not coming back. Uh, no, because you know, money and health insurance, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> Money talks, baby. All right, fair enough. I just, I, I know you. I know you. And I just felt like maybe there had to be at least a little piece of you that wanted to just twist the knife a little bit. Actually, to be honest, um, after the 2014 Olympics, I mean, I had a super long conversation and kind of told Derek Brown the areas where I thought we were lacking as a country as far as like a program. And it was something that I was failing at too, like was getting somebody in the sports psychology realm that was like the real deal because you know you see how important that is in all sports and and people using it all over the world even in curling at that point and having a more accountability like in the gym with a trainer training program that kind of stuff you know a few other things that i thought we needed to do to be successful and, and they did all that and then i wasn't part of it it was tough and i wanted those resources because they were now there and to be completely honest is getting back in the program in 2015-16 and and the work with our sports psychologist um, over the next two years, like we would have never won the Olympics without that work. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. You've talked about 2018 a whole bunch of times. I don't need to necessarily go into it, but one thing I, I did want to ask you about, because I don't think you've talked about this or I haven't heard you talk about it. Were you surprised Tyler left after it was over? You know, I think maybe I was a little bit surprised, but then after, not really. Because even remembering getting him to play in 2015, he wasn't even sure he wanted to play in 2015, let alone 2018. He had, he had knee and shoulder stuff that bothered him every day, all curling season. And he's also somebody who cannot do anything but go absolutely all in. Much like me, but I guess at the time I was surprised. But after about three weeks, I wasn't surprised. Right. Just because I know, you know, and obviously it happened with you guys, certainly here in Canada. You talk about money talking, you know, even just to stay on for a year and enjoy the windfall of an Olympic gold medal. You know, you just you generally don't see people, especially when it's only one guy leave. So I was a little surprised, but... He still got the windfall of the Olympics, dude. We had nine months of absolute chaos and opportunities. And because the crazy thing that didn't transition, like we got all these opportunities and like speaking and appearance stuff, but like that didn't transition like it does in Canada to sponsorship on the ice. Right. It really didn't. And so pretty much he caught most of that, that Olympic windfall. I'd, I mean, as he should have, and as we enjoyed the heck out of it, man. Again, perfect synergy we have right here because it dovetails perfectly into my next question. I love asking this of athletes who have won an Olympic gold medal. I know when you win, you get a lot of a lot of weird requests. People want to see the medal. They want to touch the medal. They want to do this, that, whatever. What was the weirdest request you got post-Olympic gold medal win? I'll tell you a weird story. The night we get the medal, we're going across the street from the village to meet our families at Cafe Nuts, the name of the bar that was across the street from the village. And as we're walking out there, there was two local women walking down the street and we had our medals on because we were going to see maybe our families, maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was other athletes because maybe my families were gone. But we were going anyways, have the medals on and these women go photo, photo. And I'm like, sure. And they, and she grabs the medal and she goes like this and bites it and left teeth marks on my medal. No, I hadn't even had it for six hours. Oh, yeah. No, it's been in so many hands <laughs> and like banged around in different things. Like I can't even point them out. But there are definitely two teeth marks from this gal's front teeth when she took a bite out of my metal the day I got it. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's that's wild. Did you realize it when she was standing right there or was it after like because I feel like it would have been so hard to be like not lose your mind on this person no dude you know what though here's here's what happened and i had this crazy travel day life's about the story and like the fact that i could tell that story and i looked down and i'm like are you kidding me but at the same point like does it change anything it didn't change anything it just made for a really ridiculous story <laughs> that's true i mean I feel like like Canada's weird because we have the whole hockey's our whole thing and we have the whole thing that you can't touch the Stanley Cup until you win it. Like that's sort of just a superstition. Even me, I've been around the Stanley Cup multiple times. I'm never going to win the Stanley Cup, but I would just won't touch it. And I feel like biting the gold medal maybe should be reserved for people who win it. 
I, I certainly wouldn't be biting a stranger's gold medal. I'll say that. Yeah. And no one has bit it since actually people joke about biting it. And then I get to tell them that story. But I think my gold medal has been in over 10,000 hands and probably around 5,000 next. I had to, it was kind of breaking. Tyler's is in terrible shape. Mine is in terrible shape. But you know what? Like, you won the medal for your country and getting a chance to, I mean, this last week in Bemidji, I added about 100 more people to that list to 10,000. And, you know, there are people that never thought they'd see a gold medal, let alone hold a gold medal. And, and I just love sharing it even at its own peril. I had somebody who was at the airport when we got there with her kids and we took a picture. Her kids were with us, you know, on Sunday and it was the five year anniversary of us getting home. Apparently she's like, Oh, this picture popped up on my timeline from five years ago with my kids. And let's take a, ha, ah, you have the medal with you. Let's take another picture. And when you look at the ribbon and the two pictures, it is distinctly different. I love it. Um, okay. Let's let, let's do one more question before we get into the trivia. And, um, you know, speaking of being proud of, of American curling and everything. I, I think fair to say, at, at least particularly on the men's side, USA curling deeper than it's ever been. I think fair to say, I think especially at the top, you've got three now great teams and even more that are outside the high performance program. Dunham's been very good, you know, lots of great teams. Why do you think that it's now going there? Is it is it because of you? Is it because of the high performance program? What do we owe this sort of you know, this sort of bounty of, of great U S curlers that are coming along. Curling definitely got a big jump start at the 2018 Olympics. I mean, it got a big jump start anyways, being on the TV for 10, 14, 18, 22, like full blown. We've had a youth movement. Like that's something I think that we're doing and being so much more successful with. And I know Canada's trying everything they can trying to make the sport younger and sexier, but I mean, our average age in my curling club is the youngest it's ever been. You have so many 40-somethings, 30-somethings, 20-somethings getting out of university that are hitting the curling ice. And I think, you know, curling isn't... When I was a kid, it definitely was not cool. I was in high school and you were curling. You're like, oh, weirdo. <laughs> definitely not. But you know what? I took all my other friends who also weren't like the cool kids and recruited all them to come curl with me. And we had a ton of kids curling. But it wasn't like... I wasn't walking through school like, I'm a curler. But... I do think that we're having a lot more, you know, kids playing and, and we have good instruction. And to be honest, like even with seeing it on TV and seeing what it looks like and having good camps, like we have more rock throwing talent than I've ever seen in our country in both the men's and women's side. So, I mean, I was, I was crazy impressed with this year's nationals. Yeah. We had eight teams, but I, I was thinking back to some of my earlier nationals and just the rock throwing ability in our country is incredible. I mean, that's kind of what I'm pointing at it. And when I said the men specifically, I just meant because I think the women's has actually been deeper uh, for a longer period of time in, in America. It's great to see. I think it's great for everybody. I think every, you know, every Canadian, as much as we didn't want you to win in 2018, you were pretty stupid if you weren't happy for you guys winning. Cause I think, you know, rising tide lifts all boats and, and, and it was great for the sport. No question. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think the globalization of the sport's been good anyways. I mean, you look at what Nick and Dean, and even Joel Rotorna is now like that international Bruce Mowat, like the international flavor, you know, at the slams people long for it, man. I, I go to Canadian events and curling clubs and people are like, Oh, like they're almost excited that the international teams are there as they are for the Brad Gushus and the Kevin Cooies. They love seeing those guys, but they get to see them all the time. They probably seen them play in person. But I think the fact that there's, you know, this global push of us playing globally has been really, really good. The parody is a great thing. As much as it's a hard thing to take, you know, as a country, if you're struggling, you know, not getting the gold medals that you're used to getting, but, but it's so good for the sport. I agree. I, and it's only going to make us better too. So I, I got no problem with it. Okay. Let's move on. We always finish off every show with a segment that we call extremely difficult own career trivia. Uh, this is where I'm going to ask you trivia questions about your own curling career and we'll see how you do. There will be five possible points you look like you're doubting your own abilities to remember anything you did. I legit can't remember any end from the nationals. I just played and I'm dead. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Question number one at the 2003 worlds, your first worlds, you had two victories, one over South Korea and one over Germany. Who was Germany's skip? Germany's skip. Oh my gosh. It was Sebastian stock. It was not son of wait. Are you sure? I'm positive, yeah. It wasn't Andy Cap. No, it wasn't Andy Cap. Who the heck was it? Who was it? Tell me who it was. It was Andy Cap's old third. I don't know if that helps you. Yeah. Uh, no. Andreas Lang. Andreas Lang. See, I had the wrong Andy. It was Andy Lang, not Andy Cap. Ah. It's okay. I'm not going perfect. It's all good. You're not going perfect. That's okay. You know, I mean, I don't expect anyone to go perfect. Question number two. In those early days... You faced off against Team Finland a lot, skipped by Marku Usapavelniemi. 
spell Usa Pavel Niemi. Can I just take the L in this one? <laughs> it, was, there, it was U15. There's 15 letters. So isn't there two U's? Are you U-S? There is two U's. Yeah. U-U-S. U-U-S-I-L. I-L. Yeah. Oh, you're already gone. Pav, P-A-V. No. E-L-N-I-E-M-I. No. You caught up with it by the end. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I can do Pavel Niemi. I mean, Niemi is a common last name in my area. No, no you can't. You got Pavel wrong. There's two A's. There's two A's in Pavel. Wow. Yeah, it's U-U-S-I-P-A-A-V-A-L-N-I-E-M-I. Use a Pavel Niemi. Use a Pavel. Yeah, I thought there was an L in there earlier. Son of a gun. Yeah. It's okay. O for 2. These are really hard trivia. I'm going to get zero, I'm telling you. You're not going to get zero. Please, no more spelling questions. I'm good at spelling words, but not names. You're the first one I've ever made spell anything, so I just wanted to see how it would go. I liked it personally, but I like when the people get it wrong. The next time I see you, I'm going to give you a really hard name to spell, and we're going to see how this goes. I would love it. I would love to be quizzed on my own show. No problem. Uh, Okay. At the 2010 Olympics... You had a few low-scoring games. Who was your lowest-scoring game against? Like that we scored the lowest? Combined points. Combined points. See, I didn't even know we had low-scoring games, dog. You had two. You had t- I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you one of them was had to have been Great Britain. That's the right answer. David Murdoch. Yeah, there was no points in that game. That was low. 4-2 was the final score. Yeah, we had a crack in that in like the eighth end, too. So who's the other? The France game was 4-3. I wasn't in that one. I I know that. I didn't ask you about that one, did I, John? I'm just saying. I was like, that's probably why I was low scoring, because those guys are out there probably hitting everything. <laughs> that's probably true. You're probably right. Uh, okay, so you are you got one. So David Murdoch was 4-2. You know, they just brought him into Canada. Are people complaining about low scoring games? Jeez, it'd be even lower. I don't think people complain necessarily about a low scoring game. They just complain about blank ends. It, even if the score is like seven five at the end, if there was like three blank ends, they get really mad about it. I, I don't agree. Yeah, it's good shot making. This, I don't know. Anyway, it is. That's that's, a, that's a, that could be a whole other podcast. Question number four: At the 2016 Worlds, in which you won bronze, you played Japan three times. In two of those three games. The winning team scored the same number of points, once in a Japan win, once in a Schuster win. How many points was it? Eight. Eight is correct. That was a very easy question. Oh, really? It is, because if you look at back generally in 10 end games, whoever wins or loses in games I play, eight's the number. First person to eight wins. Well, that's that's true in this case, yes. Japan beat you in the round robin 8-7, but you beat them in the bronze medal game 8-6. First eight wins. Yeah, the rare five four in the first game of the playoffs, but uh, you got back to your eight ways. <laughs> okay, last one. So you're two for four. You have a chance to tie the top score ever, which is three for five. At the 2019 World Mixed Doubles, where you played with partner Corey Christensen, you faced off against England in the first round of the playoffs. Give me the full name of either English team member. Well, I mean, it was the Fowler brother and sister, and the girl's name is Anna Fowler. Yep, you got it. And the brother's name, what is the brother's name? I should have had to give you both. I want to say Rob Fowler, but that was a Canadian curler. Yeah, that was Jeff Stoughton. Yeah. Jeff Stoughton. I knew Rob Fowler before he was Jeff Stoughton. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, what is the Fowler brother's name? It is a common like English white guy name. Ben. Ben Fowler. <laughs> ben Fowler. That's right. It is Ben, yeah. I know. I wrote the question. I blame Rob Fowler on that. Not getting that second part of that right. But I didn't need both parts. You got the point. You didn't need both. So you're three for five. You're tied at the top of the mountain. You did good, John. Thank you. Um, Okay. This is the last part of the show. This is the extra end. We get a question from my previous guest for you. And uh, my previous guest was Carly Howard. So my question is, you have been tasked with putting together the next Olympic team of curlers. It is a mixed team. New sport, form four-man mixed, new sports Olympics. And unfortunately, every curler is booked. So you cannot choose a curler. But your team is international, so you can pick anyone else in the world. And so you've got to pick four curlers to go on your mixed team for the Olympics. Can be anyone in the world, just can't be a curler. Four-person mixed team, no curlers. Who do you got? Man, my question that I'm going to have to ask somebody is going to be not nearly as good as this one. Uh <laughs> Mr. T's playing second for sure. You got to have Mr. T in there. Yep. We're going to fill the team around Mr. T because he's going to be the beast. Yeah, love that. 
I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Jason Sudeikis. Is gonna skip us. Oh, I like that. Seems like an athletic kind of guy. Well, he's just a mind. Like, have you seen Ted Lasso? Like, he's an ultimate motivator. Yes, he is gonna play Ted Lasso. I don't think T's gonna buy into that though. Like, but that's okay. He's a swimmer for the U.S. That's won like 20 gold medals in the last two Olympics. Katie Ledecky. Her family is from up in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, and they are actually huge curling fans. So you know, I like winners on my team, and she's ob- an obvious winner. And she is familiar with curling. Her and her family are, are fans of curling. So I'm taking Katie Ledecky. He's going to come play third. He's going to kill everybody. And then uh, let's see here. Maybe we need some celeb power. I'm such not a celebrity person, even to think of names. She's been around winter sports, around hockey, whatever. Let's let's throw Carrie Underwood out there. Yeah, I mean, she makes the Olympics before her husband, you know? like <laughs> I don't think he was on the Olympic team, but yeah. So she's got lots of followers, I imagine, social media. She blow the game up, so... She could sing the national anthem when when you win. All right, I think I, I think we got our team down. We got our team. Love it. Great, great selections, John. And yes, uh, as as you said off the start, there I do need a question for my next guest. All right, my my question for your next guest is going to be, you know what? I'd, if you had like Kristen McCarvel, the answer would be really easy. But uh, so I just had one of the worst travel days ever. But my plane didn't, you know, crash off the runway like uh, Krista and their way home from whatever it was a year, but. Uh, but yeah, what was the most disastrous travel that you had going to a curling event? Oh, love it. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Especially because so many of us play in small town Canada. There's always... Oh, yeah. Every travel day is is its own disaster. I mean, today's <laughs> was a little bit scary. It wasn't like the biggest disaster. Yeah, you were saying it got... Di- your, your plane got diverted or something? It got diverted when we landed. Then they went and attempted a landing and aborted the landing. As we were landing, it was pretty much down. They took back off up into the sky. And uh, there's a bunch of wind shears and stuff going on. It was wild. But once their last approach, they're like, oh, if we, this, we don't make this one, we're actually going to send you back to your original location. Oh, no. Yeah, which it, luckily we made that one. So, but so you're not good. the worst day. I've, I was coming home from Europe one time and we landed in Chicago and they, we landed on at Monday at 9 p.m. Like, oh, we've rescheduled your flight. You've been rescheduled, rebooked, and we're thinking, oh, tomorrow morning for Thursday at like 9 p.m. Oh, my God. Like three days later because it was a crazy snowstorm. But luckily, we were able to find a rental car we could drive one way and still got home the next day. But yeah, you land from coming home from overseas and like, oh, by the way, it's <laughs> Monday. You can go home on Thursday. The worst feeling on yeah. earth. Um, John, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Pleasure to have you and talk to you as always. Before we go, uh, a chance to plug your sponsors. Our main sponsor is Allianz North America Life Insurance and, uh, and other products. And they have came into the Olympic movement, you know, at like the world level, like where they're an Olympic partner and they've their North America headquarters in Minnesota. And they've been just like the greatest partners uh, that that a guy can have and and you know, stumbled into hard line when, when we were not selected to the national team back in 2015 and, uh, and read and like, what the heck are those things you guys are sweeping? Like, and we happened to play against Mike McEwen at the first event we played at. We're like, well, no one else is going to give us brooms. And like, well, we should have a team in the U S so, you know, you guys want to sweep these things. And, uh, and from that day forward, yeah, they've, they've been some incredible sponsors and, and we got chill boys, man. Chill boys. Yes. Underwear. Chill boys. Yeah. Underwear and socks. I learned, I learned about this when you were in Penticton. <laughs> I can show you my socks. I can't show you my underwear. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> this is a PG family show. I imagine it is. Yes, it is. Yes. We did. We did shoot a commercial with them though, where, uh, they were like, Oh, we want you guys to shoot a commercial. We show up there and they're, uh, they're underwear t-shirt ends, you know, underwear kind of socks thing, but they gave us our wardrobe plies. Like, I'm so sorry. We're like plies. What did you really think this shoot was going to be? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that to come out. I think I think we're all excited. Well, thank you so much, John. That was great. Is there anyone else? That's it. Any future sponsors that want to come along? No. <laughs> this could be you. This could be you. Yeah. No, we have we have. I think Modus Financial is going to be with us for the World Championships coming up here. We got more coming next year. So beautiful. Can't wait. Well, thanks everybody for listening as well. And uh, yeah, thanks, John. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mister Colin. So there you have it. Another fantastic interview. John Schuster, 
What a beauty. Love that guy. So glad he was able to join us on the show. And for the outro this week, one thing we have done on a lot of these Way Inside episodes is a question of the week where we have posed a question to different curlers and get them to answer it. This week, we're dipping into the Way Inside mailbag. I asked you, the faithful listeners, do you have a question for me? But The interview with John Schuster ran a little bit long, so we are going to do what we're calling here the 60-second Way Inside Mailbag. I'm here with my producer, Mike. I am going to try to answer as many of these questions as I can in 60 seconds. He's going to start the clock as soon as I finish reading the first question. He's going to let me know when we get to 60 seconds, and then we're going to cut it off. I will say we got so many great questions. Maybe we'll do a mailbag episode in the future because it would be very fun to dig into some of these. But for now, we've just, we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. Mike, you ready? Ready. All right, here we go. This question is from Aaron. Do you see winning world Olympic medals as the most important goal for Canadian curling, or do you think the health of grassroots curling and clubs is more important? Would you agree that these are two distinct, potentially opposing goals? All right, now see... The thing about this type of question is, and there's a, this is a great question, by the way, Aaron, and I do appreciate you sending it in uh, to us here on the Way Inside Mailbag. The thing is, so what we're working with here is obviously a very clear um, dichotomy. So we've obviously, you know, yeah, you've got the world and the Olympic medals on the one side. You've got the grassroots curling on the other side. And you've sort of identified here in this question that they could potentially be two distinct opposing goals, you know, and I do think I agree that this is something that curling Canada and Canadian curling as a whole is really going to have to, um, you know, they're going to have to dig into this. You know, I think a lot of us can agree you know, when you, when we're talking about things like podium finishes, when we're talking about things like funding, but then we're also, but then on the other side, and we're very much really in some ways talking about curling clubs as well. And, 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 you know, I know on inside curling, they do talk about curling clubs quite a bit. And so the thing is, all right, well, look, Aaron, thank you so much for that question. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike, uh, for timing that out for me again. I do appreciate all the questions and next time, hopefully we'll have a little bit more time for them. And until next time, this has been way inside. We will be back here every two weeks on the inside curling feed, interviewing one of your favorite curlers. I want to thank my producer, Mike, my other producer, Amal, as well as Kevin, Warren, Jim, the whole crew, Griffin, the whole crew here at Sportsnet. You can follow me on Twitter for more curling content at Cullen on Curling. And remember, if you're going to be inside, be way inside.